1: Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theatres everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is hard. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theatres Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13.
0: I am such an idiot. I just did something I am incredibly proud of and incredibly happy about it. It's like the happiest I've been in years doing something. And I just did a podcast about it, which you're about to listen to, where I describe the whole story of why I did what I did, but I don't even tell what I did or how to get it until the end. I'm the worst self-promoter, and I'm so horrible at self-promotion. So this is what I did. I made a course. I made a course about writing. Forget all my newsletters and courses about financial stuff. This has nothing to do with that. I made a course how to write and publish a book in 30 days. And what I really mean is how to write a quality book. I give all these book concepts where you can write your own unique book using these concepts. And I describe how step-by-step. I give all my writing tips, my best writing tips. I go through All the questions I ask myself when I start a story or a book or a blog post, in particular, what are the six U's of this writing that I'm doing? Who am I? Why am I? And why now? I ask myself that question before every book and every article. I ask myself, am I afraid to hit publish? Because that's a good sign if I am. And I go over, again, the whole craft of writing. I also step-by-step show you how to publish. And you can find the course. All the stuff I say at the end, basically, I'm just going to quickly say right now, com slash writing. You can find the course, Show.com slash writing. I'm going to describe the story that led to this course and a lot more detail about what the course is about. But it's something I'm so proud of. I've never been self-promotional in one of these, in the past 1500 podcasts. I'm really proud of it. I'm a little nervous to launch it. I hope people get it. And if you get it, Write me a note at altucher at gmail.com. I encourage you to write. One thing I will say, which I did not say in the rest of this podcast, is that being a writer, even writing one book, and I've written now over 20, even writing one book changed my life. It gave me so many opportunities. It gave me so many life-changing experiences. I'll give you an example. After I wrote my very first book, Fidelity, the big company, Fidelity, the mutual fund company, they asked me to be a spokesperson for them based on just my first book. And I made a lot of money. I made much more money being a spokesperson for Fidelity for 10 years than I made from the book itself. And I will tell you this also, if you're trying to be a consultant or a public speaker, or even hired for a job, or even raise money for a hedge fund or a business, if two people have equal skills and are equal in every way, but one person wrote a book and the other didn't, the other side will pick the person who wrote the book for many reasons. And you could probably guess at them. But I've seen this in action so many times. Writing books has changed my life. I want the process of writing a book to change your life. I made this course. Write and publish a book in 30 days. And again, it's not going to be some slap hazard book. It's going to be a quality book. All my writing tips are in there. And you'll see why. It's a very specific reason why 30 days. And you can find it at jamesaltachershow.com slash writing. But... I'm about to do a podcast, which is the whole story of why I did this course and my own history in writing. And only at the end do I talk about this course. But knock yourself out, listen to the podcast, then go to JamesAltitrushow.com/slash writing, and you will see what I think is the best course ever on writing. So enjoy and thank you very much. And drop me a line at altitrushow gmail.com if you have any questions. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is The James Altucher Show. For the first time in a really long time, I am super excited about something I've created. The whole journey of this starts in... 1990 and what happened was as these things go i had a crush on this girl and she was majoring in english literature you know i had just graduated college i was going to graduate school and this friend of mine who always called himself a writer he had like that kind of hair you could like you know he just looked like a writer that's what i'm trying to say
2: how do you describe a writer this writer has a look
0: Yeah, like a little unshaven. He just had like this like wild curly hair, almost like me a little bit, but even more so. Did he wear glasses? He had glasses. He was always talking about like James Joyce and Thomas Pynchon. These are like great writers from the past, but they're unreadable. Like, okay, okay, some of James Joyce is readable, but Thomas Pynchon's book *Gravity's Rainbow*, which is like the super like. I don't say he, Thomas Pynchon's a pseudo-intellectual, but every pseudo-intellectual in college like loves Gravity's Rainbow by Thomas Pynchon. And by James Joyce, they don't just like... So James Joyce has a collection of short stories, The Dubliners, that was fine. Portrait of an Artist as a Young Man, that was great. But Ulysses is unreadable. And everyone was always talking about Ulysses and Gravity's Rainbow, and they were writing about philosophy... And they, but they're, but not like someone else like their own. They were coming. They were 18 years old or 19 years old, coming up with their own like philosophy that would be better than, you know, it would be their understanding of the world at the age of 19. Anyway, this girl Maria, who ended up writing on The Simpsons, actually like many years later. Oh, really? Yes. Um, I should have. I forgot to huh. ask um, Mike, uh, who we've had the, the producer of The Simpsons that we've had on the podcast <laughs> right. many times. But I always follow the adventures of Mike and Denise on Facebook. They travel all over the world now. But anyway, she had a she liked this guy Mark, who's my roommate, who was the pseudo writer. He's never written anything. He never wrote anything before and he's never written anything since. But I was thinking, ah, maybe, I mean, I wasn't accustomed to having girlfriends and maybe if I became a writer, girls that I like would like me. <laughs> Sounds like a stupid reason to do something, but if you think about it, that is the reason why most people do anything. Yeah. So I'm gonna go from this to Charles Darwin, as I do. And Darwin uh, wrote a book, actually. While
2: you're looking for the book, that's the whole point. I was in the music industry. It's Just that I like a girl. I'm like I can, you know, play piano to serenade her. So that I started picking up piano and guitars.
0: Well, it's very interesting that you bring that up because. So everyone knows Darwin by his classic book The Origin of Species and it talks about mm-hmm. what we now refer to as Darwinism which is you know natural selection and so on. But he also wrote another like not widely read book. I believe if my memory is correct it was called The Art of Sexual Selection and he explained why art and even writing exists and why music why musicians exist because musicians and artists as much as we can claim, they add value to society, and I won't argue that. They, they, do, I think they add value to society. But back in like caveman days, they didn't hunt and they didn't gather, so they didn't get food and they didn't prepare the food, uh, which is what, you know, what the the natural selection, what the origin of species was mostly about, is that the descendants would survive of the people who were really good at hunting or the people who are really good at gathering and cooking and so on. So this is, you know, Darwinism. This is natural selection that, that an entire species will evolve based on their abilities to, to hunt and gather food or, or for other species, you know, get predators or, or in some way, you know, get sustenance for the tribe. And other people would survive who are good at protecting the food and protecting the tribe and cooking the food and preparing the food. So anyway, why would artists survive? Like they're the weirdos who kind of like draw in caves and whatever. Like what are they doing to help the tribe? You know, and the point is women and men would mate with each other based on like a a woman would mate with the alpha male because he's going to protect her and make sure she has food and their children have food and so on. And vice versa, the alpha male might mate with the alpha female if she's the best at like Protecting the food and, and cooking it and so on. But here's the thing about artists. Right from the beginning, art was a scam. <laughs> because what the artist is basically, and this is just this is just Darwin's theory. Who knows if it's true or not? Who knows if, if any of this is, is, is just made up and Darwin doesn't know what he's talking about? But Darwin's point was is that people, men or women, made it with the artist because the artist is sort of displaying that he is so far superior to everything going on in the tribe that he could spend his time not hunting, not gathering, but just creating art because it's special. He says, my art is special, so I don't need to do that other stuff. And everyone would believe the artist. And so he was beyond the alpha male. And so people would want to mate with him or her. That was Darwin's point is that The artist, why art exists is because the artist would betray him or herself as so far beyond the normal natural selection process of hunting and gathering that people would say, oh, that art is amazing. He must be communicating with the gods or whatever. And so Mm -hmm. the artist's descendants survived because he would have his choice of mate.
2: So basically, artists are just a scammer.
0: Esse- essentially, that's what Darwin That's what Darwin was saying. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. obviously, you know, art evolved so that yeah. dangers were communicated through art and through storytelling. Like, instead of saying mm. to your kids, don't go in the woods over there, there's a bad tribe that will kill us. You say, oh, the demons were born in that forest and God, you know, the gods don't want us to go into that forest. So through storytelling and mythology uh, and religion, very important messages were communicated from generation to generation. So perhaps that was the role of the artist and that's why they were beyond the alpha male. But according to Darwin, the artist has extra mating material so it was beyond the hunting. So anyway, the long story is is that this is the reason why many people do anything. It's why a lot of people want to get money. It's a lot why a lot of people want to be a famous actor or movie star or or a writer or artist or sculptor or whatever. And of course, like anything, all of this has evolved and people actually enjoy art. They enjoy painting. They enjoy sculpting. They enjoy making music. And, I, and me, billions of people enjoy listening to music. I initially didn't really know much about writing. I had never taken a writing class in college. I was a computer science major. But all of a sudden, this light bulb went off in my head and I was like, huh, writing... Here's this girl I had a, a massive crush on. Like I was I felt like I was in love with her, but she liked my roommate who was quote unquote a writer, never having written, never wrote. Again, he actually became a computer programmer and I went into writing. So I go back to graduate school in computer science and I was obsessed with writing and I was obsessed with reading because the two go in hand in hand. You know, to be a great writer, you you also should be not necessary, but you also should be a great reader. So you see and learn all the techniques of other writers. So I started writing, um, I had an idea for a novel and it was speaking of Thomas Pynchon, the plot was closely related to his most readable book, which is a book, a little novella called The Crying of Lot 49. I started writing this novel and I would write about 3000 words a day so, I, I woke up in the morning and all I would do is write. I wrote about 3,000 words a day. And in about a year, I was thrown out of graduate school because all I was doing was writing. I, and then, every, and I also write tons of short stories. I only wrote fiction. So, I wrote tons of short stories. I wrote one novel, then I wrote a second novel. And I was always using the printer to print up dozens or even in some cases, hundreds of copies of my stories or books. And I would send them out to agents and publishers. I only got rejected and it was all form rejection letters. Like I never even once got something like, Hey, this is interesting. Keep up the good work. I never even got that, but it didn't depress me. Like, you know, there's a, there's something called Dunning Kruger bias, which we've talked about before on this podcast and Dunning Kruger bias is this belief that you're better than you are. So it's this idea that nine out of 10 people think they're an above average driver, which is impossible like, you know, only four out of 10 are above the median, the middle. I would say nine out of 10 people think they're a great negotiator. Nine out of 10 people think they're a good judge of character. Nine out of 10 people think they're good at poker. There's lots of categories where people think they're smarter than they are. And I, usually Dunning-Kruger bias is considered bad. Like, oh, it's bad to fool yourself into thinking you're better than you are. But I am the best. I'm an above average Dunning Kruger bias person like I have Dunning Kruger bias about everything, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. So I would say, let's say novel number one, it was like 500 pages, and I thought this is clearly the best novel ever in in all of English literature, and I would have my friends read it, and they would do it to be nice, but I don't even know if any of them actually read it. They would just say, oh, that was great, but I don't know if anybody read. It. I would literally go up to girls in a bar and say, hey, this is a chapter of my book. Would you read it? Like I was so stupid. Like I had no social skills whatsoever. And I really believe that somebody would read a random, like in the middle of a bar, in the middle of the night, would read, a complete stranger would read, be so excited. Oh, you wrote a chapter in a book, your own? And they would read it and they would magically fall in love with me right then and there. I mean, I would see these girls give like a look to the bartender This guy's a weirdo, but I wrote one novel. Uh, Nothing happened. I wrote another novel and all along I'm writing short stories too. So, and every day I was reading novels and short story writers. Like some of my favorite short story writers were Dennis Johnson, Lori Moore, Grace Paley, Tim O'Brien, who we've had on the podcast. Yep. Super grateful. A great writer like that has come on the podcast. I, I read so much during this time just to kind of learn the craft because I had no one to teach me the craft. I had I really knew nobody who was a writer. I never took a writing class. I was in graduate school for computer science, so I wasn't really out there taking writing classes. I was failing my computer science classes because I was doing so much writing. And then one time I entered a three-day novel writing contest, so I did that. And I asked my girlfriend at the time if she would read it, this, this novel I wrote in three days. And she literally, she broke up with me right then. <laughs> Like that was. Is it because
2: crazy. of the novel, or is it because of
0: the face? Hey, what are you saying about my face? <laughs> uh, uh, probably a little bit of both. Also, the fact uh, that I was constantly begging her to read everything I wrote. Mm. She was like, "I, I thought we were going to take a break. That's it. I'm out. I'm, this is over." So, so that was over. And then I wrote another novel. So I wrote four novels during this period. I wrote dozens and maybe like 60 different short stories and i will say by the end of this period and this this particular period in my writing lasted from 1990 to 1994 and this particular period in my writing maybe by the end i was pretty good at short story writing like i think i could write a, at that point i was able to write a decent short story and i really loved short stories are very different than novels they they don't have as much of a plot. Like you wouldn't really have the plot of a Stephen King novel in the form of a short story. Short story. The best short story writers are sort of like half poets, half fiction writers. They're, they're not good at plotting, but they're really good with language and they're good at character, you know, making a really in-depth character and their language is almost poetic. Not poetic in this flowery way, but like real poetry. There's, there's, there's like BS poetry that's all flowery and beautiful, but then there's like real poetry, which you could think of almost as like a one-page short story that's just beautiful. And I would say by the end of this period, I was reading so many short stories and and great writers who wrote great short stories that maybe I was getting a little good at short stories. I was not getting good at novel writing. I was really not the best at plot at this time. So then I figured because at the time I still had the mindset, I am the best writer in history, the most talented person ever. I figured the only thing I was missing was connections. So I applied for a job at HBO. And per my technique, now if you read the book, Skip the Line, I always have kind of these backdoor ways to get involved in things I want to get involved in. So I couldn't apply to HBO and say, hey, I want to write all your TV shows and your movies because that was pretty competitive and I couldn't compete with anybody who was already doing that for HBO. So because I knew computer science and I knew how to program a computer, I applied to the IT department. This is the department that would make the programs where they would schedule the TV shows and they would handle all the accounting and so on. So I applied to HBO, and as I've mentioned before on this podcast, I applied to JP Morgan just because I needed to get to New York City. I was living in Pittsburgh where I went to graduate school at Carnegie Mellon for computer science. I get both jobs. JP Morgan offered eighty thousand a year, which was like a huge sum to me, and HBO offered forty thousand a year. And I figured no matter which job I take, I'm rich. Like my, the biggest I've ever made before was t- I had a stipend as a grad student for 12000 a year. So I took the HBO job, even though it was half the salary of the JP Morgan job, because I knew HBO would have more connections. Maybe I would make a movie or a TV show at HBO, which I considered the best television network on the planet. It still is, right? I would say so, but here's the thing. This is when you, but this is just general advice. You know, some place a good place to work when you could find dozens and dozens of ex-employees who go off to run other companies or be high-level executives in other companies in the same industry. Former employees of HBO ended up running Showtime, Viacom, Time Warner, high-level executives at Netflix high-level executives in Amazon's original product. Like, the the very first Amazon show that wasn't popular, I I now forget what it was, was run by an ex-HBO employee. Oh, wow. Almost all of Showtime's top executives were former HBO employees. Right now, the CEO of Stars was the former CEO of HBO. And you see that in a lot of industries, like like PayPal. They always refer to the PayPal mafia. A lot of ex-employees of PayPal ended up running companies like YouTube, and of course, Tesla and SpaceX because Peter Thiel, uh, because of Elon Musk and Palantir uh, and and on and on. There's there's maybe hundreds of companies run by ex-PayPal employees. So you could kind of tell what a great company is when they're the ones that feed the executives and the creatives of the rest of the industry. So I really admired HBO as a company. And I would read It was the first time I read the Wall Street Journal. I would look for all references to HBO. I really studied HBO. And this is just some advice when you start working at a company. Don't be an employee, meaning, yes, you're going to be an employee, but not in the traditional sense. I, I wrote a book once called The Rich Employee, and it was about how, like when I wrote Choose Yourself, everyone thought I meant, oh, you should quit your job and be an entrepreneur. It's not what I meant, really but you could be an employee and still choose yourself. So I wrote a book called The Rich Employee, which means that become an entrepreneur within a corporate setting. So and in order to do that, you have to really feel the culture and the vision and like live the vision of the company. So I really I researched HBO and I really believed in the vision of HBO, which was that sure we could show you all the latest movies that were big hits, but even better we can, HBO was the first pay cable channel to feature their own original programming. And of course, we all know their, their, some of their biggest hits early on, Sex in the City, Sopranos, Larry Sanders' show. Earlier than that, they had a, a great show called Dream On. I don't know why you can't find it on HBO Max. Uh, and ever since then, they've had great HBO shows. Like, Jay, what's your favorite recent great HBO show? Oh, The Last of Us. Oh, The Last of Us. And you know what? I did not watch that, but John and Robin were obsessed with it. They watched it every day. They said it was the best show ever. I wouldn't say the best show ever, but
2: like recent memory, like within past two years, it's definitely the best show ever.
0: I watched recently uh, The White Lotus, which was great. Yes. And Succession, I'm watching right now, which is, I don't want to put it in the great category. It's not as good as, for instance, HBO shows like Rome or The Wire. But it's up there. I, I enjoy Succession. So those are the main HBO shows I'm watching right now. But there's always like an HBO show happening at any time that's great. But I will say many other channels are as good as HBO. But that's partly because ex-HBO employees ended up running those companies. So they they brought their flavor with them and all their connections and so on. So I did, in fact, actually start shooting a TV show for HBO. I, I It's a long story. I'll get into it some other time. It was me interviewing people at three in the morning. I've spoken about this before on a Wednesday night in New York City. So I would interview. I had never done anything other than computer programming before, but suddenly for HBO, I was interviewing prostitutes, drug dealers, pimps, uh, homeless people. I was going to jail for the night. I was uh, and seeing what was happening. I was hanging out with all the homeless kids in Tompkins Square Park, and you know, squatting where there's underground. Radio station, I was just I had lots of interesting experiences for a three year period. I shot it as a web show because I made their web I used the web as a backdoor way to get into the entertainment side. I built their website, and I said, Look, you need original web shows just like you need original TV shows and then Sheila Evans, who's been on this podcast, she was the head of documentary, she said, Why don't you do this as a TV show for us? We need something to replace the real sex series because we're running out of material and so you know, I, I tried doing that for them. I pitched many ideas to them. And ultimately, nothing worked as these things go. But I got even more experience writing. I was still writing, not 3,000 words a day because I didn't have time anymore. But I was, for my 3 a.m. web show, I was writing descriptions for each episode. It was one episode a week. And I was writing about all the people I encountered, plus I had photos, video, and so on. It's probably like the first podcast on the world wide web and time magazine uh mentioned the website it was one of the most popular websites out there this is during a time when there were almost no websites so and and it got me started on my business reset which made websites for entertainment companies i'd show hbo and people would say we want that like even con edison the utility company said we want something like that and i'm like are you sure
2: what if uh because right now, I mean, I, I think like a couple of years ago you did mention like, you know, how how do like website right now profit? They should make their own show. What if con Edisons make their own show?
0: Yeah. well, any this is my point actually. and i've I've spoken to the um Brian Chesky, who started uh, Airbnb mm-hmm. about this, uh, and I should probably speak to more websites about this. But essentially, any website with traffic could be a TV network. Like Netflix did not make original shows at first. They just rented you DVDs, but because their website had so much traffic, it was unnatural. And because they were in the entertainment business, sort of, I mean, they just were distributing DVDs. They weren't creating anything, but because their website had so much traffic, they had the insight, Hey, we can make shows with this that appear on our website. And then of course, when streaming started, they had a streaming service. So I approached Airbnb and I said, you have so much traffic. Why don't you do the same thing? And here's the show I pitched to Airbnb every week I'll go to a different, or every month I'll go to a different city and I'll stay in the worst Airbnb and like usually the cheapest and the most expensive Airbnb. So like in New York City, for instance, you could Airbnb for like $5 a night this or $30 a night, uh, a tent in someone's backyard in the worst part of the Bronx, which is like a dangerous area. So for $30 a night, And and the idea was, too, I would bring comedians with me. We'd have a party. It would be funny. And then the most expensive place in New York, I forget what it was, was essentially a palace somewhere in, you know, Soho or whatever, like 12,000 square feet. And, you know, for $100,000 a night, you can rent it. And it was crazy. They seemed really excited, but then they never got back to me because, okay, maybe that was just small potatoes for them. I don't know. But my point then was any, and now even, is any, site with a lot of traffic can be a TV network and have original content. And HBO sort of proved that then Netflix sort of proved it and and so on. I have to say Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnb's like in about a month I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com. Slash host.
1: Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is all time to my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in Theatres Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG 13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13.
0: During this time, I was writing and I was excited about writing, and I was still an avid reader, but I wasn't writing really novels at this point. I was writing for this 3 a.m. idea, and I was getting familiar with TV writing and documentary writing, and, and so on. So it was training in its own way. Then I started a business making entertaining websites. This is—I don't mean for this to be my biography, but fast forward in 2002, I had two skills at that point, other than knowing how to make a website and computer stuff, like forget computer stuff. But I had already started day trading and was starting my hedge fund, so I had financial skills, and I had writing skills. I had been writing at this point for 10 years. So I had some skills and I had a, I, I didn't know I had a unique style at this point, but I had a flavor to my writing.
2: Uh, so I'm just curious, uh, what would you say your unique style back then? I'm sure your style have changed.
0: It's cha- I had like kind of, I would say things no one else would say. So if I was writing about mm. app, well, well, I'll get to it. So I wrote, letters to a bunch of hedge fund managers saying, hey, can I work for you? Because I wanted to work for a hedge fund. I didn't want to run my own hedge fund and I wanted to get experience. And I wrote a letter to a bunch of financial writers and no one at all responded. So then this is where the 10 ideas a day come in. I researched each person I was writing to, came up with 10 ideas for them and then wrote them the ideas and said, there's no need to ever get back to me. Well, one person who got back to me Several people got back to me at that point, but one person I had pitched Jim Kramer here's 10 article ideas you should write about stocks. And he was, you know, a contributor on CNBC, he didn't have mad money then, but and he had started this website, thestreet.com, which was all articles. And he wrote back instantly and he said, These are great, why don't you write for us? So in January or in December of 2002, I wrote my first published article after 12 years of writing not counting the 3 a.m. stuff for HBO, I wrote the first article that I was actually paid for. I was paid $200. I framed that check. Many years later, Jim signed the back of the check. I never cashed that check. And I framed it. I don't know where it is now because I threw out all my belongings a few years ago. But somebody, it's probably in the garbage. But I I wrote an article about stocks that were trading below the amount of cash they had in the bank, which was ridiculous. But... I kind of started to have this style where that became very distinct where I would write, instead of just writing, Oh, Apple reported earnings, they made $20 a share. It was below expectations, blah, blah, blah. Some boring article. I would write about my experiences like, Oh my gosh, this is how I tra- day traded Apple. And then I almost went broke. I, I, this is a big mistake I made. So I would admit my failures and my flaws. I wouldn't just rep- And this is by the way, how humans beat, will, will continue to beat AI. You can't just summarize news. AI can do that already better than humans. Mm. You have to have your own unique perspective. And AI will have their own unique perspective eventually, but it won't be your unique perspective. And so people will want to listen to you and read you because you have your own unique perspective. And so I did. And so, so I did that for a year or two. The Financial Times contacted me, which is a, you know the biggest... Financial newspaper, maybe in the world, next to The Wall Street Journal. It's a British paper. It's on that like orange or pink paper. They asked me if I wanted to start writing for them. They liked my writing at the street. And so I started writing for them. And I remember I wrote, I was really nervous. Oh my gosh, the prestigious Financial Times. And so I wrote these very conservative articles, like, this is how Warren Buffett invests. and here's some of his stock picks. This is how banks work and and so on. And Lionel Barber, the editor of the u s ft, and he became the editor-in-chief for many years after this, he called me into the office. He said, these are good articles. And I said, oh, thank you. And he says, you're fired. (laughs) And I'm like, what do you mean? And he said, we don't want you to write good articles. That's like everyone else here writes good articles. We want you to write like James Altucher. So if you don't come up with something batshit crazy like James Altucher would, I don't want another article from you. And so he re, he was a great editor he really encouraged me to take my style and amp it up my editor at that time you know he was the boss so he was the editor-in-chief but my specific editor this guy john authors he got so nervous with my writing style he was like they're never gonna let this go they're never gonna let this go but lyle i always would go over his head sadly for him and lionel Barber would say publish it and they would just get crazier and crazier because i was trying to see if they would ever fire me and they never did I mean, eventually all good things come to an end, but not for any bad reason. And then the Wall Street Journal had me write for them. One interesting story there, very famous writer now. Uh, she's got a great newsletter, great perspective. Barry Weiss, she wrote for the New York Times, but she thought they were too alt-left or or whatever, I don't know. And she started her own Substack, and now she makes a great living on her Substack newsletter. She's been on Joe Rogan. She's a great writer, great writer, of has good political opinions. And she was my grammar editor at the Wall Street Journal, like straight out of college. So I know her from then. And then I just found out this weekend, Jay Merrick, a mutual friend of ours, who's also been on this podcast. Merrick told me that she's from Pittsburgh, where I went to grad school. And her father, oh, her father is this guy, Lou Weiss, who I made a website for 25 years ago. Uh, no wedding. way.
2: What, what, type, what type of website?
0: It was a, a, he had a wedding store, and I made a, a website where he could sell uh, wedding stuff.
2: I love reading Barry's uh, stuff.
0: Yeah, Barry's great. She has her
2: own. Uh, yeah, she has her own network now.
0: Yeah, we should have her on the podcast. She's fun. Yes. Anyway, I'm going to get to a long story, and I'm going to make it shorter because this is not how I intended for this to go. But eventually, um, people wanted me to write a book. Pub- a publisher reached out to me. Uh, Wiley Pamela Van Geesen was the editor there. She's retired now, and. I wrote my first book. It was a financial book, Trade Like a Hedge Fund. Then I wrote another one, Trade Like Warren Buffett. Then I wrote another one, Super Cash. So I was writing financial books, and these were my first books. And they were very successful in the financial world. And they were priced very high. Like Trade Like a Hedge Fund was 70 bucks, But it was one of their best sellers. USA Today said it was one of the best financial books ever. The Stock Traders Almanac had it featured as their book of the year. And so I was able to do financial books. And then I wrote the Forever Portfolio for portfolio slash penguin a book for the wall street journal the investor's guide to investing in the apocalypse and i wrote a bunch of financial books but i didn't really enjoy that and and i wanted to write books my style and i wanted to write about the time like when i was day trading when i went broke and i lost my house and the irs was after me and how i was so depressed i was almost suicidal and then i started writing the 10 ideas a day so i started writing that kind of those kind of blogs And I got a much, every blog post, I got a much bigger audience than I had ever gotten before with the financial stuff. And I had a pretty big audience for the financial stuff. And I started writing for all sorts of publications, like uh, a yoga journal, uh, a psychology journal, a Gen Z type of magazine about relationships, the Good Men Project. Uh, I wrote for crack.com. So I started writing for every website I could think of to basically like no matter where I started writing for TechCrunch uh, about my entrepreneurship days and everywhere you look I wanted it my strategy was is that I was everywhere no matter what journal you looked at I was everywhere and I, and then I started writing books that were more about my not about like f- BS financial stuff not that my financial stuff was BS but I didn't enjoy it but I wrote like Choose Yourself, which was about how, ultimately, I wouldn't get upset if somebody didn't want to use my writing or someone didn't want to have me on TV. I chose myself. If whatever I wanted to do, I would figure out how to do it, and that's possible in today's day and age. You want a radio show? Do a podcast. You want a TV show? Build your YouTube channel. You want to publish a book? Well, that's what I'm going to get to because I just made a course about writing and publishing your first book. So I wrote Choose Yourself was a bestseller, Wall Street Journal bestseller. It sold millions of copies. I wrote Reinvent Yourself. I just finished Skip the Line. I wrote a book with Charlemagne the God, who's a huge radio host, 5 million listeners. I don't know. I've written all all together. I've written a children's book. I've written a comic book. I wrote a novel under a pseudonym, which um, is called the, I think, I forget it now. It's called The Autobiography of Prince George. And he was only three days old um and so i wrote it from the point of view of his butler uh let me see if i can find it because it's under a different name sometimes i actually can't find it oh yeah the autobiography of prince george alexander lewis windsor oh and it's got 15 ratings and an entire 2.9 stars <laughs> and the reviews all hated it i think there are oh there's one there's two five-star reviews interesting concept But here's a one-star review: rubbish. Suggestions in this book are crude and ludicrous. I would not recommend it to anyone, even though it was a freebie. So, but I wrote that book in three days and published it on Amazon, and it was a fun little book, and it's only like ten pages or something. I don't know. But so they were—they were right to give it bad reviews. It wasn't a good book. But you know, my books have been bestsellers. My books have been very successful. But here's what I enjoy most lately: is that. So many of my friends and colleagues and family ask me, hey, I just wrote an article. I just wrote a book. I just wrote an essay for my homework, whatever. And they say, can I take, James, can you take a look at it? And so I would say, sure. And I really loved helping them, almost, almost teaching them how to write. And, sh- and I would basically, the the best is, We would get on, even if if we were in different locations, we'd get on Google Docs and I'd be on the phone with them or on Zoom or whatever, and I would make a change and explain why I was making the change. And so I would never be critical. I was always constructive, but I would go over each change. Like, here's why I changed this sentence. Here's, because, you know, maybe you already wrote a similar sentence or had a similar word on a prior page. So I'm going to change this so it uses a different word. Oh, this... Our, this sentence has too many adjectives, too many adverbs. Let's tighten it up. Uh, you don't need this first paragraph. You know, my one of the pieces of advice I always have is take out, whenever you write something, even if you know this rule, take out the first paragraph and the last paragraph. And, you know, and I would always walk people through, like, why did you write this? What are you afraid of if you hit publish? Like, I never write something unless I'm afraid to hit publish.
1: Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will rain. It is hot. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG thirteen. Some material may be inappropriate for children under thirteen.
0: I wrote an article once uh, why I don't believe that any war is worth it, and so many people got upset at me. Particularly since I wrote this on, I think July fourth, and I said the Revolutionary War wasn't worth it, and blah blah blah. I, I've probably change my opinion on this one. We should do a change opinion podcast on this topic. But yes, I, unless I was afraid, or, or you know, for TechCrunch, I would write such insane entrepreneurial stories that I was always convinced this is the last time they're ever going to let me write for them and everyone is going to mock me and people will spit on my kids at school because I wrote this and whatever. So unless I was afraid to hit publish, I would not hit publish. So I would always, with people I'm helping with their writing... I would always ask them, what are you afraid of? If you're you're not afraid of something, then it's just, this is a boring book or an article or or a blog post or whatever. What chances are you taking? You've got to take, just like with investing, you've got to take risks to have great rewards. And that really, you know, changed the way a lot of people wrote. People, you know, even just recently, like Merrick, who's going to come on uh, this podcast soon to discuss his brand new book. I spent a year working with him and his co-author going over all of these ideas, how to write a story, why storytelling is important in a book, not just the ideas, but the storytelling. Ultimately you have to be an entertainer. What are you scared of? So I would spend months sometimes helping some of these people with writing and, you know, Avatik, who's been on this podcast, he's my chess coach. Sometimes I look at his blog posts and, and, um, he's a very good writer to begin with, so it's a pleasure to work with someone who's a, a really good writer and he sort of naturally comes to it, but it's real pleasure to kind of go over his writing and, and I always do it. I make sure I'm never critical. I'm, I'm, all my suggestions are very constructive. I work really hard at trying to teach well and I love teaching writing. This is the activity. Writing is the activity I've done longer than anything else and more consistently than anything else. I've been I've been writing almost every day. Since 1990, so 33 years. So here's what I did. You know, this is why I'm such a bad at any kind of like self advertising or self promotion. I wait all the way till the end of this podcast to describe what I did. I made a course about writing for the first time, and it's not related to any of my financial stuff. It's on Udemy, U D E M Y, which is an online learning platform. I'm launching it today with this podcast. It's called How to Write and Publish a Book in 30 Days. And I'm serious. Like, I will teach you how to write, not just write, but write well, and then step-by-step how to publish and publish so it feels professionally published in just 30 days. And even coming up with the ideas, I came up with four book concepts, what I call book concepts, where even if a 1,000 people all started with the same concept, they will write incredibly different books with each concept I go through it step by step how to take this idea how to research it how to add your own stories to this and in less than 30 days write the book and and write a great book and I describe I so here are some of the sections can I add something yes you can add something
2: yeah so I was just there for the course when we were shooting it. You, well, you shot just all the videos of so video <laughs> course.
0: You shot all the videos. Yeah, you're the director yeah. and producer.
2: So they, on top of like the four concepts, James also talk about like time management, like what are the myths that can be debunked when writing a book, which is great, and and also like the 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 mindset of writing the book, like what are something that he does before writing a book as well.
0: Yeah, like like uh, there's one section, nine ways to overcome writer's block where I talk about all the times I've experienced writer's block and how, and I still deal with writer's block. I had to write an article the other day and oh my God, I had huge writer's block because anyway, that's a whole story. But uh, I talk about the FK score system to determine if your writing is readable or not. Most people don't know anything about that, but basically there's this score that tells you what grade level your writing is at. And Good writing, like like. let's take the book Old Man in the Sea, which helped Ernest Hemingway win the Nobel Prize. It's probably his best book. That is written at a fifth grade reading level. That fifth and sixth grade reading levels are the grade level you want to write at. And there's a way to calculate it called the FK score, and I talk about that. I talk about the Warren Buffett 525 rule, which I've spoken about before in this podcast, but I apply it to writing. I talk about, um, you know, is AI your competitor? How to beat AI? Uh, I talk about my favorite uh, first lines in books. So the very most important sentence, two sentences you could write in a book are the, the is the first line and is the last line. And then almost like a fractal, like the very most important words in each chapter is the first line and the last line in the chapter. Each paragraph, the first line and the last time. In fact, there's a technique of speed reading which is just read the first line and the last line of every paragraph. Or if you're really pressed for time, read the first line and the last line of every chapter and so on.
2: I'm just curious on the spot, will you be able to think of your favorite first line? I just want to give them the taste. Yeah, I'll talk about about
0: two first lines right now that I really love. Like a first line in just one line will capture the soul of a book and will make you really feel what the writer slash the main character of the book was was intending so um okay here's here's Albert Camus who wrote the stranger Albert Camus also won the Nobel Prize in literature i think in 1957 he died when he was very young and he was a very well known absurdist philosopher and a great novelist he wrote this very short novel called the stranger the very first line is mother died today or maybe yesterday I can't be sure. So if you break apart that first line, first off, you know, they always say, in a, for murder mysteries, and this is not a murder mystery, this is like a more literary novel, but they always say in murder mysteries, you know, someone has to die in the first three pages. Well, <laughs> here it's the very first line, mother died today, or maybe yesterday, I can't be sure. So there's death, but there's also this weird confusion. Like it, this is someone's, son saying this about his mother. And he says, or maybe yesterday, like, why is he so confused? What is it about this person? What is off about this person that he doesn't know if she died today or yesterday? And then he says, I can't be sure. Why can't he be sure? Why why can't he ask somebody, for instance, and then he would be sure. Um, Why is being unsure very critical to the plot of this book? When he says, "I can't be sure," it's almost like he doesn't care enough to find out. And that that's why he can't be sure or or there's also uh, another great one, Kurt Vonnegut. a lot of people have read kurt vonnegut uh, his his perhaps most classic book is Slaughterhouse Five. And again, this is will seem like the last one, but he wrote is the first sentence of Slaughterhouse Five is all of this happened more or less. So did it happen, or did it not happen? <laughs> So we're about to hear a story, by, and basically Slaughterhouse-Five is one of Kurt Vonnegut's most famous books because it's his direct experience as a prisoner of war in World War II. He was captured by the Germans, and he was in Dresden with all the other prisoners of war when Dresden was firebombed. Everybody in Dresden essentially died, and except for the prisoners of war because they were kept so far underground. So this, that's what this novel is about. So it's almost like the trauma of that, all this happened more or less, that's what the rest of the book feels like is that it's so much trauma. It's almost, is he going to be a reliable author or a reliable storyteller or not? We don't yet know. We have to to read to find out why that uh, is a critical first line. Oh, I got to tell you one more. So Jennifer Egan, she's a more modern writer, one of my favorite books, A Visit from the Goon Squad. And she wrote the very first line of her novel, It began the usual way, in the bathroom of the Lassimo Hotel. So what is it? And what is the usual way? And why? I can't even think of anything that the usual way, unless you're going to the bathroom, the usual way would occur in the bathroom. And then it's very interesting. She's so general, like it, usual way, the bathroom. But then she gives a specific detail, the Lassimo Hotel, which is why is that why that specific hotel that something called it has there you do something that's usual and it's in the bathroom of this very very specific hotel so i'll just say one more charles bukowski's post office so you know he wrote it in 3 weeks this novel it's his first novel it began as a mistake so i just first lines i love the art of the first line and by the way in a world dominated by TikTok. And, and I do think TikTok is excellent form of entertainment. You know, you have to really, if you're writing a novel or any book, a nonfiction book. And so this course is focused on nonfiction books. I will do another course focused on fiction books, but a nonfiction book, you're competing against TikTok for eyeballs, for attention. And you have to start off very strong. The first line, the first paragraph, I talk about how to have a cliffhanger even in a nonfiction book, you need cliffhangers every chapter, sometimes every paragraph, sometimes every sentence. Um, I mean, these sentences I just read to you were almost structured like cliffhangers. You have to know the arc of the hero and you have to tell lots of stories. We were just talking to Ryan Holiday about the arc of the hero and, and storytelling. And we, we talked with Chuck Palahniuk, author of Fight Club, about the arc of the hero. We talked with Robert Greene about the arc of the hero. So this is such an important concept That I spend a lot of time on this in the course because a nonfiction book, you need the arc of the hero throughout the book, every single chapter. I also talk about something that's very important to me when I'm writing. When you're writing a book, very important is you want to be completely authentic. It's just like when I was doing standup comedy. The audience is a great BS detector. They know when you're doing an act or when you're just talking. And and the goal of a standup comedian is just to be up there as if you have never done comedy before and start just saying stuff that makes people laugh. And if they think you're doing a a honed act, they can smell BS. They can smell fear also. So you, you have to just act like you're having a fun time. The party's up on the stage. They're invited. They can come or not. And it's the same thing with writing. You have to be totally authentic. So you have to ask, who are you? Why are you? Why now? So with every book you write, who are you to be writing this book? uh you know are you an entrepreneur and you're writing about entrepreneurship are you someone who came from um let's let's say we're g- we're going to see books later about what's happening in Ukraine now were you a child in Ukraine and these hard experiences happened um why are you you have to ask the question why are you which is an odd kind of question like why do you do the things you do is it your mi- what's your mission in life what is it your mission to spread the word about you know What happened in Ukraine? Is it your mission to write a novel about people who feel awkward and out of place in, in social situations that other people are totally comfortable in? And you write a novel about that. Are you someone who loves, you know, your mission is to create a better thriller than any thriller ever written because it's in your head, all these ideas for thrillers. Like, why are you and why now? Why now do we need this book? Why now do we need a book about the history of the presidency, for instance? Well, it's because there's so much controversy in presidential politics these days, much more than there was 10 years ago. And so is this new? Is there a history to this? Like, why are you writing this book now? And so who are you? Why are you? Why now? And I talk a lot more about this in the very beginning of the course, talk about time management. I give examples of the Ark of the hero. Even in nonfiction examples, I give all of my best writing tips. Like I just load them in there. I talk about self-publishing versus traditional publishing and a lot of the myths that surround self-publishing. For instance, uh, I don't know when this podcast will come out, but on May 5th on Apple Plus, I am so excited. I'm waiting for the TV series Silo to launch. It's a science fiction series. It's based on a bunch of books written by... A friend of mine and former podcast guest, Hugh Howie, he was actually a podcast guest in 2014, one of my first guests. And he self-published the series Wool. And it sold millions and millions of copies. Eventually, Simon and Schuster republished it. And eventually Apple Plus made it into a TV series launching May 5th, about 10 years after he wrote the, the very initial book, which he didn't think would sell at all. It was like a novella. And so many people asked him for a sequel that he wrote a whole series called Wool. Now it's gonna be a TV series. So No one ever asks them, hey, you were just self-published. I'm not watching your TV series. It was just a great book. So uh, I talk about self-publishing versus traditional publishing. I go step-by-step how to professionally self-publish your book. So it doesn't look like some, you know, low-grade self-published book. It looks like a professionally published book. No one would be able to tell the difference. I talk about, um, you know, how I personally learned storytelling kind of the hard way from writing, you know, thousands of bad stories and novels. And I don't want, it took me 10 years to publish my first article. And then about another two years after that to publish my first book. I am. I teach you from beginning to end how to publish, write and publish your first book in 30 days. It doesn't have to be your first book, it could be your second book or 10th book, but how to write a great book And publish it in 30 days. I go over the myths of writing. I go over the craft of it. I go over the the, the four book concepts, which you could use. uh, And I will, you know, for people who sign up for the course, I'll probably add book concepts uh, along the way, but you could use any of these concepts to write a completely unique book that is unique to you. And, you know, ultimately I talk a little bit about how to market your book and I'm really proud of this course. It's the funnest thing I've done in at least three years, and I have so much pleasure helping people with their writing that I decided to make a course, putting together everything I've learned about writing. And here I am, such a horrible self-promoter. You could get this course. Uh, the course is one hundred seventy-nine dollars, and hopefully, you will make millions of dollars writing books. But you'll definitely—I can guarantee you—you'll make more than one hundred seventy-nine dollars if you write a book. But I should have had a money-back guarantee there. Maybe at some point I will, but. <laughs> how to write and publish a book in 30 days. And again, if you go to Udemy and search for Altucher, you'll find the course. But better is go to com slash writing. Don't go to com slash writing. Go to com slash writing, and it'll take you right to the front page of the course. What can I offer right now? If anyone, because of this podcast, goes and gets this course, I'll read and, and write a review on your first book or or second book or whatever that you use this course to write the book and you put it on Amazon. I will go to the Amazon page and review it. So I promise that. Just my emails is altature at gmail.com. Send me your manuscript or point me to the book. I will buy the book. Just don't charge a $1,000 for it. I, you know, I'll charge a normal price and I will review the book. If you signed up for the course because of this podcast. So it's how to write and publish a book in 30 days. Go to jamesalditureshow.com slash writing, and it'll take you right to the course. I am so proud of this course. I really hope you get it and that you learn from it and review it and rank it and tell me how much you loved it. And if you have any questions at all, feel free to write me, at gmail.com. I will... Try to answer everything and good luck. Good luck on your writing journey. I will say the writing journey has been incredible for me and has created so many opportunities, so many interesting and fascinating life experiences. It's really worth it to write your book. Thanks again.